You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I do apologize for missing the last couple days. Thank you very much, Mr. JJ, for being able to fill in for me. I tried to think of a way to make it work, and there was just absolutely no way. I think I mentioned I had to work late this entire week, and... Um, Unless I was going to take off Friday, which just wasn't really an option, there's just no way that I can um, watch the Thursday night game, stay up another two hours to do the podcast, and then uh, get like two hours of sleep. Yeah, it would be more than that, like three, three, four-ish, whatever, and then go to work. So I guess technically, I shouldn't say there's no way. There's probably a point in time when I would have um, done that, but that that time is no longer here. <laughs> I just, I just couldn't do it. I did consider doing a um, like a special podcast, just recording it on my phone, like during my break, just to talk about it. But I was like, nah, let's just let's just wait and um, we'll get it right. It's, it's too bad though because that was a really, really unbelievable game. I think the best part about that entire win, and, and I, I'm I'm really struggling where to even begin with what happened, but I think the best part of it is. It was on brand for what we've seen all season. But at the same time, it sort of proved me completely wrong about this football team. What I said about our last several wins um, was that this is a team that doesn't exactly have the talent, but they've got the grit. They just have to get the talent up if they're going to win against the big guys. Well, they beat maybe the best team in all of football when they were maybe at their lowest possible point. Right? I mean, it's one thing to beat Detroit. It's another thing to beat, you know, San Francisco, who's got a pretty good defense, but, um, you know, they're struggling. To beat Pittsburgh, who's got a pathetic offense. To beat Cincinnati, that's kind of up and down. To beat the Bears, whose offense is pathetic. To beat Washington, who's, you know, again, struggling in every single facet. That's great to be able to, to grit and grind those kind of games out. But to be able to beat Arizona is unbelievable. I think furthermore, I think what's starting to come into focus for me is really the fact, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers and and how great he is, and there's a lot of um, great things being said about a lot of different people, Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's really time to acknowledge the defense and the role that they've played. Let me just look back at the last several weeks and tell me if this sounds like the 2020 Green Bay Packers offense. And I understand there's reasons, but I just want to highlight something here. The Packers the last several weeks have scored 24, 24, 24, 25, and 27 points. In the last five weeks, they won every single one of those games, despite their number one pass rusher, number one corner being out of the game at least. They scored 30 against the 49ers and 35 against the Lions, but since then, 27 is the most they've scored. Since week five, 25 is the most they've scored. In the last three weeks in a row, they've only scored 24 points. Now, you can say Arizona's got, you know, They had, at least prior to this week, the number one defense in football. 24 points is understandable. And the Chicago Bears have a top 10 defense, so 24 points is understandable. But they also only scored 24 against Washington, who had one of the worst defenses in football, and 24 against Cincinnati, who is, um, well, I guess their defense is doing quite well. 
The point is, though, if there was not a Herculean effort by this defense, who has allowed 21, 10, 14, 22, and 27 since week four, we don't win these games. And again, the real test came this week because it's one thing to, to allow 17 against Pittsburgh or 14 against the Bears or 10 against Washington, although 10 is always a really great score. Um, even 22 against Cincinnati is fairly impressive. But 21 points against the Arizona Cardinals is really something different. And I think overall, this was a big statement win. And as much as you know, you got Bears and Vikings fans talking about lucky, which doesn't even make sense. I don't even know what they could possibly be referring to. The only thing they could be doing is, is cherry-picking certain situations and just completely ignoring the parts where Arizona got lucky and still lost. And it, it's really just getting old because every game there are bad calls and, and um, questionable decisions and drops. But the other thing is I think the Packers, if anything, gave this game away more than Arizona did with drops and, and things of that nature, bad decisions, questionable play-calling whatever you might want to say. But regardless, the, the couple of naysayers, and, and generally they're Bears, Lions, Vikings fans, I think this was sort of a woe moment for a lot of people because this was not supposed to happen. And again, the biggest thing was woe for me. And here, here's the other thing that's interesting. People get caught up in the defensive coordinator. They get caught up in Joe Barry. And now that Joe Barry's gone, people have to decide what to do with this information that Jerry Gray came in and put on an incredible performance against a really good offense. Some people would probably be tempted to say that J Jerry Gray did a better job than Joe Barry would have done. Or you could go the other route and say, just imagine how good we would have been if we had Joe Barry, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's both missing the point. When we look back at um, the people that we've hired recently, Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, Joe Barry, it's always been with a particular vision in mind, not, not a particular person in mind. I've talked about it several times when it came to Brian Gutekunst. It wasn't about Brian Gutekunst versus uh, Wolf or any of the other guys. It started with Mark Murphy making the determination of what attribute is most important to build a successful team. And what he prized above everything else, which shouldn't be surprising, but it was, it was a very simple question. Who is the best at player evaluation? And so he had a very simple task. Go out and get your notebooks that had all your notes on all the different prospects and let me see it. And he looked through all the different people and all the people that they liked and didn't like and why and everything else. And when he looked at Brian Gutekunst's notebook, he saw a guy that just understood and had a great eye for evaluating talent and said, this is going to be our guy moving forward. When it came to looking for a new head coach, there were a lot of big names out there, a lot of people that different people wanted. And for the most part, it was based on one of two different things or a combination of both. One is sort of name recognition or um, experience, for example. And the other was based on record. How many wins compared to how many losses? Or one thing that I looked at a lot is when you went to a new job, how much better did they get? Matt LaFleur, for me, did not rank very high because, again, he was sort of under a lot of different people, right? He was in, in Atlanta when they did a good job, but he wasn't the offensive coordinator. So that could have very well been Kyle Shanahan. He went over to the Rams as the offensive coordinator, but let's be completely honest, Sean McVay was really the offensive coordinator. He coordinated the offense. He called the plays. He did all those things. And Matt LaFleur was sort of the assistant to the offensive coordinator. He went over to Tennessee. Tennessee's offense got worse. And so for me, he didn't rank very high. But again, for the Green Bay Packers, it's not about who, it's not about record, it's not about any of that stuff. 
It's about a, a what is the first question we're asking. And the first question they ask isn't about the coach or what their accomplishments are. It's about a vision for the team. And so they said, what we want for this team is to be able to run this style of offense. You look over at the Rams, you look over at the 49ers, you look at these different things. These are the styles of offenses that are winning today against the modern-day NFL defenses. The Mike McCarthy offense is not working anymore. Really, it was just the, we either pick from the Andy Reid tree, which has been completely picked bone dry, or we look at the Matt Laf- or the Sean McVay uh, Kyle Shanahan tree, which is the direction that they wanted to go, and for good reason. I talked about how, you know, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I predicted Aaron Rodgers doing this well, but I said how very possible it is he has an unbelievable season when you look at some of the other co- uh, quarterbacks and how well they've done in second seasons, et cetera, et cetera, or third season in this system. And so for them, it wasn't a matter of looking at Matt LaFleur's record. It was a matter of who can we bring in that can bring in this style for us. And the exact same thing happened with Joe Barry, and this is the reason I said we have to give this time. When we hired Joe Barry, everybody got mad because they looked at his track record and they said this was a stupid signing because they completely forgot about Matt LaFleur. They've completely forgot about the process, and the process for for hiring Joe Barry isn't, is Joe Barry the greatest defensive mind in football? No, that was probably a guy like Mike Pettin. No, when they hired Joe Barry, the question isn't, who is this great defensive mind? That was, that was, again, that was sort of the determination that they came to with uh, Mike Pettin. This was about which defenses are winning and who has the most knowledge about the kind of defense that we want to run as a team and can implement it here in Green Bay. And so, yeah, when Joe Barry goes out sick and Jerry Gray takes over, essentially the defense has already been established. How we play defense has been established. So the individual play calls are probably important and and doing the right things at the right time and whatever kind of adjustments you can make, that's great. And game planning and those kinds of things are all important. But ultimately, what the Packers have done and the the reason that this is... This this right now, the Green Bay Packers are are ranked ninth in points, eighth in yards, despite losing their best players and half of this team not even playing at their highest possible potential. The safeties, for example, are not where they need to be. Preston is not having the greatest year in the world. He started off hot. He's, he's dwindling now. Savage has yet to have a really dominant game. Amos is doing fine. Not as good as last year, but he's doing well. And again, no, no Jair. That's unbelievable. We don't even have our lockdown corner like we had last year. And I've said this several times, but this is sort of the point I was making last year that is completely unacceptable for the defense to be as bad as it is considering all the talent that we have. When there are other teams, you look at, for example, the Chiefs had guys that were not graded out very well, not playing very well, but they just did a good job. They found a way to make it work. And so essentially you have two different things. You have a system that knows how to utilize the players best, and you have some teams that have mediocre players that perform much higher than their ability. Then you have teams that have really good players, and sometimes they play well and sometimes they don't. And so you get these two different variables where you'll have, for example, the Packers with great players that had generally bad defenses. And I'm mostly just talking about like last year, maybe the year before. You have instances like the Chiefs where you got a bunch of not great players, but they perform at a high level. You could also put the Cardinals this year on that list. But the truly elite defenses, teams like the 2018 Bears, teams like the Legion of Boom, these are teams that have both. 
These are teams who run, for example, in 2018, that Vic Fangio system, which is still kind of what we're looking to operate today. It's, it's somewhere in that mix. But you have the one of the top systems that works against NFL offenses today. You have one of the top practitioners of that defense in Vic Fangio and, and guys that understand it, and a group of really talented players. And so you had what you had with the 2018 Bears. Legion of Boom was the same thing. You have this new style of defense that is just sweeping the nation, and you have some of the best defensive players all in one group, and you just have this unstoppable force. The Packers' defense right now is playing as well as any defense in the NFL, considering what we're working with. Kenny Clark is a good player. He doesn't have any other help around him as far as other defensive tackles so far this season. Rashawn Gary is playing at a high level, but it's mostly just him. That is until we went and got Whitney Merciless. We have a rookie corner that is not graded out well, hardly at all, but again, operating very well within the system, generally not giving up big plays, maybe like one a game or so, and then kind of locks it down. And a hodgepodge of other guys that we've kind of slapped together, with the exception of Chandon, who I forget is even on the team because they don't even mention his name because he's just been a lockdown corner basically since week two. Maybe week one, I don't remember. I just assume everything week one was horrible. But the, the real point here is, the potential for this unit to be a top three is being um, diplomatic. Top three defense is very real because the two most important things you can have on a defense are a premier pass rusher and a lockdown corner. We have both of those guys waiting over on the bench. We don't know the status of them, but we did get some very good news from Zadarius, basically saying he is back in Green Bay and is excited to be back with the team soon. I don't know if that means against the Chiefs. I don't know if that means against Seattle, Minnesota. Honestly, as I mentioned to JJ when he sent this uh, over to me, I don't really care when he comes back so long as he's ready by the playoffs. Now, I'd like it to be sooner than that, but assuming we get into the playoffs, the point is, if we can continue to grow as a team, and obviously it'd be a little bit better if he came back a little bit beforehand, so he gets a couple good games under his belt, maybe bring him back, you know, Christmas Day against Cleveland or something. Again, I do think he'll be back sooner than that. I'm just saying worst-case scenario. And the great thing about that is we all know that that's what's been missing. There's the grit factor, but also it's it's largely just comes down to having dominant defenses. That's That's what carries you in the postseason, a defense that is so stingy and doesn't allow you to do anything, a defense that is allowed... 21, 10, 14, 22, 17, 28, 17 since week one. 28 is the biggest beating this team has taken, and that was week three, and we won. Since week four, we've only allowed teams to get to 20 points twice, twice in the last five weeks, and it was 21 and 22 points. With, with, with I, 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 man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting my point across here. The Packers' defense really has no business being this good. This is very similar to what the Rams are doing. The Rams have Aaron Donald. That's great. Who are their edge rushers? Don't know. They're trash. Who are their linebackers? Don't know. They're trash. They do have good corners. they got a couple decent safeties. But the point is, they've got holes. They've got deficiencies. But it doesn't matter. They were the number one defense in football last year, largely because of the system. And we, we never want to acknowledge those things. We look at it and say, well, obviously, they have Jalen Ramsey, and they, they've got one of the best corners and best pass rushers in football. Therefore, everything is fine. Okay, well, we have Jair and Zadarius, but we're not the number one team in football. Why? Well, our linebackers. Well, our second corner. Well, our third defensive tackle. Well, why is it that we have these excuses and nobody else does? Everybody else is like, well, they got two good players. Duh. The Chiefs got... Uh, you know, Tyron Matthew and uh, what's that pass rusher guy that's overrated over there? They got that guy. 
obviously they're elite. Like, can you name four other players? Two other players? Probably not, right? Sorensen? <laughs> Come on. What we're witnessing with the Green Bay Packers defense is similar to what we witnessed when Matt LaFleur came over by our offense. We made the right determination with the right defensive coordinator, not because it's the guy, not because of his track record, but it's a simple matter of Matt LaFleur's the head coach. Matt LaFleur decided, probably maybe with Gutekunst, I don't know, but they decided what defense we're going to run. It's not a matter of find a guy that's really good at defense, bring him in and go, hey, whatever you want to do, it's up to you, bud. You're the, you're the genius. You're the wizard. No, 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 no. This is what we're running. Can you bring it here? We want to do what the Rams did last year. That's a great group. Tell me how you're going to turn my guys into those guys. That's the interview process. Not lay out your track record for me. Let me let me comb through it. Tell me why you sucked in the past, but you're going to be better this time. That doesn't. That's irrelevant. And kudos to the Green Bay Packers, by the way, for not getting caught up in that. Because again, and I, I want to talk about how that parallels. Kudos to Matt Lafleur on that. But that parallels this Arizona Cardinals game. But kudos to the Packers for not kicking the can down the road and picking some big-name guy that's going to make the fans applaud you, that's going to make the uh, the media go into a frenzy and celebrate you, and what a great hire, this is the greatest. No, forget them, forget that, don't care what anybody thinks. It's a high-risk, high-reward proposition. This guy has had a terrible track record everywhere he's gone. If our defense fails, I'm in massive trouble because I hired a guy that has a terrible track record, and if he fails, everyone's going to look at me and go, well, duh, dummy. But again, trusting the process, trusting that we're doing things the right way, and what is the right way? To say, I want our defense to look like them, and I need somebody that understands that. How do you do that? Can you teach my guys to do that? Can you run that system? Do you know what they do inside and out? I'm pulling up Rams tape, and I'm saying, explain this to me. Why did they do that? I'm pulling up Broncos tape, Bears 2018, anything I can find that I remember going up against and being like, that, I don't get it. Why would you do that? What, what do you do? How did you do that? How did you know that? And I'm quizzing these guys, and I'm running them through it, and I'm saying, tell me this. Teach me that. Show me this. We're running this. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? I mean, run him through the ringer and see, is this the guy? Can he bring what we need here to Green Bay? I don't care what his name is. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he's done in the past. It's a very simple question. Can you make us do what they do? Do you have that knowledge in your brain, and can you put it down on paper and bring it here to Green Bay, Wisconsin? And the answer was definitively yes. Joe Barry is the guy that's going to bring that to Green Bay. And look at the results. After the 38-point loss, one of the most brutal beatings the Green Bay Packers defense has taken historically, just an embarrassment. Look what they've done. 17, 28, 17, 22, 14, 10, 21. By the way, nobody has gotten more than 20 points two games in a row. Gave up 38 points, followed it with 17. Gave up 28 points, followed it with 17. Gave up 22, followed it with 14. And then 10, the Chiefs had better bring their A game because we've never given up 20 points back-to-back so far this season. The number four ranked offense in terms of points allowed, the Arizona Cardinals, got 21 points. What are the number eight ranked Kansas City Chiefs going to get? By the way, the Chiefs are like the anti-Green Bay Packers defense. They put up some numbers, 33 points, 35 points, but now they're getting into a little bit of flux here. 
After 35, they followed up with 24. What the heck is that about? Then 42. Oh, there's the Chiefs. And then 20. Well, that's not great. And then 31 against Washington. There we go. Now we're back on track. And then three against the Titans. And no, we're not next. Now they have the Giants. This is their get-right game. This is the game they score 35 points. But then they get the Green Bay Packers with extra rest. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but let's not also remember, this is the 27th ranked defense, one of the worst defenses in football. I I love the fact, and I want to get back to my other point that I was going to make about how that parallels the Arizona Cardinals game, but I love the fact that going into this Chiefs game, I have completely done a 180 on my opinion of what we have coming up. The, the, The level of confidence that this has inspired in me in this team is unparalleled. Last year, this offense was unbelievable, but there was still a feeling of unease. Maybe it's just maybe it's just different when it's your defense that's really good as opposed to your offense. Maybe it's just a different feeling because when your defense is bad, a team can run up 35 points. You never know. Plus, you got the offense that usually is really good, but sometimes, you know, they just can't quite get going. And 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 the problem is, and, and again, I've mentioned this several times, the problem is when you see a team run down the field and score and you realize it's going to be a bad day for your offense or your defense, and then your offense goes three and out and you think they're going to be struggling, you really get scared. The fact of the matter is, though, the Packers always start off pretty much zero to seven, right? They're down seven every game. The defense recovers, the offense just keeps on grinding and doesn't stop, and they find a way to win the game every single week. Anyways, before I completely forget, the parallel to the Green Bay Packers process that brought in Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, and Joe Barry parallels how I feel about the Arizona Cardinals game. And uh, somebody kind of mentioned to me they didn't think it was a big deal, but I think that's kind of Monday morning quarterbacking. The easy thing to do if you're Matt LaFleur is to put all the blame and all the weight on Aaron Rodgers. I think this game was won when they stepped foot on the field because Matt LaFleur put together a game plan that is completely counterintuitive, a game plan that doesn't make any sense in terms of relying on your stars to win this game. He looked at an Arizona Cardinals team that is a really unique defense, like really unique. And I'm, I'm actually, I was surprised at how good Arizona was because the, the players, you know, some of them at least didn't grade out very well. Some of them did. But how is it that they're so good? And you, you really started to understand, for me, it was down to two things. This is a very small and fast unit. They fly around the field. But not just that, they fly, they swarm, but also they tackle unbelievably well. For smaller guys, these guys do not miss a lot of tackles. The, all these little swing passes where you've got linebackers flying and you got these one-on-one matchups, and they bring us down, that's a really good combination. Because when you got smaller guys, it doesn't matter if you can fly if you can't tackle. But when you can cover that much ground and bring guys down, it's really hard to do anything. And so really what they were doing is they were bringing a ton of extra pressure to make sure Aaron Rodgers didn't have a lot of time and our guys couldn't get further down the field. I mean, obviously, we couldn't launch the ball down the field because they were bringing so much pressure we had just a matter of a few seconds. And because, I mean, they didn't even have to cover super deep. They'd cover the middle of the field, and and that would be about it. And really what it came down to is we were relying on screens and swing passes and all these different little things and hoping that our other receivers and everything could make blocks and that our guys could find ways to, you know, make people miss and get some positive yardage. But it's such a smothering style of defense. But Matt LaFleur didn't say, we're just going to trust our offensive line to block. We're going to keep Aaron Rodgers in the pocket, and we're going to try to get our wide receivers open down the field. 
He also, by the way, didn't lean on one of our other really good players, Aaron Jones. He leaned on A.J. Dillon, which is something I don't think we've seen ever. I don't think we've seen, with Aaron Jones completely healthy, a reliance on A.J. Dillon for the majority of the game. And, and the, the reason is pretty obvious. Linebackers are fast, but they're small. And they can tackle, but they're probably going to fall backwards. And so the point is, what the Packers did is they converted to the team that usually beats the Packers. The, the Cardinals became the Packers, and the Packers became, for example, the 49ers. The Cardinals are the quick team, the fast team, the finesse team. We're going to outsmart you. We're going to outrun you. The Packers said, fine, we're going to smash you in the mouth. And we did. And it's hard for them to find. That's the thing. For, no matter what your defense is or your offense is, there's always a counter to it. And, and again, the, the, the Cardinals' defense could have easily smothered the Green Bay Packers in what they like to do. You know, outside zone is real tough when you're running the ball to the outside and just trying to beat linebackers and you're trying to get your offensive linemen to wall off these speedy linebackers. It's probably just not going to work and they're going to beat you to it. That's what we saw against teams like Tampa and everything else because they're just too fast. So we took A.J. Dillon, we smashed him right up the middle. We know they don't have good defensive tackles. We know J.J.'s out and waiting for him is going to be these linebackers that are, again, a little bit smaller in stature. And so I saw a stat somewhere, something to the effect of A.J. Dillon got about 1.2 yards before contact and another about three yards after contact. That was the game plan. And again, the reason I'm calling this a parallel is because it would be so easy for for Matt LaFleur to just say, I'm going to trust Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to trust Aaron Jones. I'm going to trust our guys like Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, et cetera, et cetera, to hold off. And, and we're going to find ways. We're going to get Robert Tunyon involved. We're going to get uh, Alan Lazard involved. We're going to get these guys involved, and we're going to win the way we win. If we had lost this game, let's say we got embarrassed in this game. How quickly would the media and the Monday morning quarterbackers look back and say, this idiot head coach took the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands in one of the most important and biggest games of the season and relied on A.J. Dillon, a number two running back, to plot ahead and win this game? What a terrible, terrible game plan. And instead, if there's any critique of Matt LaFleur, it's that they didn't use A.J. Dillon enough. But again, how many people, be honest, because again, this was the feedback I got on Twitter as well, duh. No, 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 not duh. You're telling me you would have had the guts to draw up a game plan to say we're going to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, and when we utilize him, it's going to be mostly screen passes, and it's going to be a real heavy dose of A.J. Dillon. Do you understand how high risk that is? Best two players on this offense at this point in time are Aaron Jones and Aaron, and, and, uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, and don't get me wrong, Aaron Jones had a big role. And toward the, I mean, they had nearly split carries by the time it was done because we leaned so heavily on Aaron Jones at the end of the game. Not to mention half his carries were goal line carries that didn't go anywhere, but leave that alone for now. I love the fact that this team, and Matt LaFleur in particular, are willing to lay it all on the line for, for, for what they believe works. And don't get me wrong, that, that's not well done. There's a lot of teams out there that don't have the guts. You want to know why teams like the Arizona Cardinals defense does so well? And by the way, it's going to be fleeting. The reason, this is the thing that happens. This is where you start to hear about things about how a, a defense got exposed or, or you learned how to beat this team or that team. The reason those things take so long is nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to go out on a limb and say, let's try something different that nobody's done before. We've never done it. Nobody else has done it. But I feel like if we do this, that'll counteract what they do, and we'll be able to beat them. You know, the, the classic example against the Packers was however many years ago, undefeated Broncos, undefeated Packers. 
and the Broncos played the Packers completely different because everybody was scared to death of Aaron Rodgers. And you were supposed to be. That was the expectation. If you don't play scared of Aaron Rodgers and you lose, you're an idiot. The Broncos weren't scared. They didn't play scared. In fact, they pressed our receivers who are considered just this dominant elite group. You don't want to press them. They're going to whatever. They played extremely aggressive. They pressed all our guys. They got them off their routes. They got Aaron Rodgers off his timing. We got embarrassed. And everybody used that playbook from now on. Make no mistake, everybody's going to be looking at what the Packers did to the Arizona Cardinals. And not to say that that's automatically going to mean you win. But the point is, you want to put the team like the Arizona Cardinals on their heels a little bit. You can play this way if you want, but here's your weakness, and you better learn how to overcome that. Teams with strong offensive lines, team with teams with good running backs. To, if you think about it, it's an extremely high-risk proposition for the Arizona Cardinals because what everybody's going to want to do, which is very obvious, is just run the ball against you, keep your offense off the team, off the field, dominate time of possession, and it's so hard to win when time of possession is so strongly in the other team's favor, especially when your defense starts to get tired which opens everything else up. But it was Matt LaFleur that said, we're not going to do what we always do. We're going to go completely 180 from what we always do. We're not putting this on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. We're not putting this on Aaron Jones' shoulders. Obviously, everybody's involved in some capacity. But again, it would be so easy to say, we're going to play like we always play. You're going to sub Devontae. You're going to sub MVS. You're going to sub Lazard. These are our three new wide receivers. I think I said Lazard earlier when he was not playing, but you, you get my point. And uh, I just expect, you know, next man up. That's our philosophy. We're next man up. Just go out and do what we always do, and hopefully we can win. They didn't just cash it in. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. And so again, um, the level of confidence I now have, and, and, and the greatest part about this is the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be at home. I would be willing to bet the Packers are favorites in that game. Maybe not. I don't know. A lot of that's going to depend if Kansas City can absolutely annihilate the Giants, which they should. If they can't, they're in deep trouble. But beyond that, I mean, it really does feel like the Packers are the Goliath right now. Completely decimated with injuries, and they still can't be beaten. They refuse to give up. They refuse to stop. I hate to just keep listing it all over again, but we have got some of the most critical pieces to any football team without respect to Aaron Rodgers. He's the only one so far, knock on wood, that we haven't lost. I remember we made the comment before about who's the most important person left, and it was Jair, and then we lost Jair, and then we lost Devontae, 
And then we lost MVS and Lazard. And, you know, I mean, we're down to the point now it's Aaron Jones. I would have to assume, or we could say Elton Jenkins because he's back, I guess, or maybe Rashawn. Rashawn is not a bad, especially considering A.J. Dillon and his ability, Rashawn might be one of the more important pieces. Amos is unbelievably important at this point. But my goodness, man, we haven't had our left tackle all season. We haven't had Zadarius basically all season. We haven't seen Jair in a long time. Lost our center, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the, and the point is, I know we, we keep losing people. We lost Tunyon, which is horrible. But we're also getting to a point where we're going to start getting guys back. We got Elton back. We're looking at getting Bakhtiari back, possibly against the Kansas City Chiefs. That seems to be what we're looking at. We're talking about possibly getting MVS back, Lazard back, Devontae back. No word on Jair, but Zadarius back. And it really just is, you know, despite all the complaining about everything, it's been incredible. I mean, the proof of what I've said about the Packers and their process and how well it's worked is laid out in its entirety this year. Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur, and Brian Gutekunst have been on display this year and have done the impossible, whether it be draft picks. And, and, and I want to underscore this before we even get into free agents, because you can look around the league and find teams that have not found contributors um, through the draft, or at least very few. Think about how unbelievably critical Elton Jenkins is to this team. Even the offensive line, which is not performing at a massively high level, just look at all the late-round guys that have been able to help out. Guys like John Runyon and Royce Newman. Even guys like Jake Hansen in a pinch. Josiah DeGuara now starting to get involved. Probably going to take on a bigger role. Amari Rogers beginning to get involved. A.J. Dillon, what an unbelievable role he played. I don't know if we win if we don't have A.J. Dillon in this game. Rashawn Gary unbelievable draft pick by Brian Gutekunst. Eric Stokes, Darnell Savage. Then you look at all the other guys that we've picked up over the years that have been massive contributors. Guys like Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, even though we could probably give that to Aaron Rodgers, Billy Turner, Mercedes Lewis, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Devondre Campbell, Chandon Sullivan, Adrian Amos, Corey Bajorquez, I mean, look, just this entire team from top to bottom has been retooled by Brian Gutekunst. The guy's never going to get any credit, just like Matt LaFleur will probably not get any credit, unless and until we win a Super Bowl this year. And then we'll see what happens from there if they decide to give any credit to anybody. I don't know. But it's just it's from top to bottom. From top to bottom. Elton Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, Jake Hansen, Royce Newman, Billy Turner, Dennis Kelly, John Runyon, Yash Nyman. How many of those guys, what is it, Lucas Patrick is the only guy that was a, that was still there prior to, I think, I think. Everybody else is a Brian Gutekunst addition. We don't have an offensive line without him. And make no mistake, I mean, yes, everybody would have picked up offensive linemen. Everybody has. Not everybody has had what the Packers have had. And this is with injuries. You look at the wide receivers. You got Cobb, who's been there. Randall was brought in. Lazard was brought in. Amari was brought in. Malik was brought in. Equinemius, eh, it was the year before, I think. Whatever. Tight ends. Mercedes was, was brought in. Jaguara was brought in. Dominique was brought in. Uh, I think Tunyon was the only one that was there maybe a year before. I think. Maybe, maybe I'm confusing Lazard and Tunyon. I always get those two confused. One of them, Goot brought in. One of them was the year before. Either way, you got quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers was here. Jordan Love was brought in. You got running backs. Aaron Jones was here. Dylan and Kylan Hill were brought in. Kylan, we also lost for the year, unfortunately. Defensive line, Kingsley Kiki, Tadaryl Slayton, Jack Heflin. Tyler Lancaster, I believe, was brought in by Brian Gutekunst. It was just Kenny and Dean that are, stands, uh, that are still here. 
pass rushers. Preston was brought in. Rashawn was brought in. Whitney Merciless was brought in. Jonathan Garvin was brought in. Uh, uh, Hamilton was brought in. Linebackers, Devondre was brought in. Chris Barnes was brought in by Gutekunst. Burks is Gutekunst. Summers was Gutekunst. Uh, McDuffie is Gutekunst. Jalen Smith is Gutekunst. Cornerbacks, Chandon was Gutekunst. Shamar, Gutekunst. Uh, Yadam, uh, let's see, Stokes, Razul. Kevin King's the only guy that's still standing. Safeties, Adrian was Gutekunst. Savage was Gutekunst. Henry Black, who got a pick in that game, was Gutekunst. Vernon Scott was Gutekunst. Hunter Bradley, Corey Bohorka as Gutekunst. Mason is the only special teamer that's still there from, from prior. This entire team, that's, that's the thing that's crazy. Some people don't want to respect Brian. This entire team, it's got to be 90%, is Brian Gutekunst. But as long as Aaron Rodgers is here, apparently nobody's allowed to get any respect because he's dragging everybody. He's playing wide receiver, tackle, guard, center. He's playing tight end and running back. He's playing defensive line. He's the reason this defense is doing so well. You know, incredible what Brian Gutekunst has done. Incredible what Matt LaFleur has done. And now seemingly, and by the way, Let's not forget, Mike Pettin was a Mike McCarthy hire. This was not a Matt LaFleur hire. Mike McCarthy seemingly had that old-school philosophy, or maybe it's not old-school, whatever, but he's an old-school guy. And so he went out and, and hired a guy based on basically the criteria that he would hope to be hired on, which is the guy's got a, a tremendous track record over the years, maybe not recently, but he's done a lot. He knows as much as anybody. So Mike McCarthy hired the person. That strategy didn't work. Matt LaFleur hired the defense. And look at the results. Basically everything that Mark Murphy, uh, Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur have touched has turned to gold, with the exception of special teams. (laughs) We still got to figure that out. But it's getting there, right? We brought in Corey. Obviously, you know, I was skeptical about that. I was worried about going backwards. Uh, We've seen some terrible punters. I was terrified that this guy was going to be another Jake Frost or something. And um, couldn't have been further from the truth. He has been as advertised or better. Mason doesn't seem to have missed a, a, a beat. I mean, he had that one bad game and seems to be back on track, which is fantastic. I know we're not super big fans of Hunter Bradley, but, you know, is what it is. He seems fine. And I, I just, I struggle to know with the Packers seemingly, I mean, I don't know how you would do a ranking of NFL teams and not put the Packers above Arizona, not just because they won, but because they won at half strength. And I know that Arizona doesn't have J.J., but they're not getting J.J. back. And they didn't have Hopkins, that's true. And you can say, well, if they had Hopkins, they would have won. Somebody had mentioned that if they had Hopkins, even on that last play, they probably would. And that's true. And if we had Devontae, we would have annihilated him. That's, you know, whatever. I'll I'll see your Hopkins, and I'll raise you Devontae, Lazard, and MVS. And I'm not saying you can't make a case for another team. Tampa Bay is playing some incredible football. Tom Brady is still playing at a high level. they got the number three offense, number uh, 10th overall defense right now. I mean, if you wanted to make that case, you could easily make that case. Could talk about the Rams and McVay. I mean, they're they're doing about the same thing. Um, all of them just have one win or one loss so far. But I think if if we disregard our preconceived notions, which I think is hard, I think the problem is we still look at 2020 when we look at a team. When we see Tampa Bay and we see um, <clears throat> what they've done this season, we see their record, and we assume this is still one of the top defenses in football. Their defense has taken a slight step back. That is worth noting. We have to look at who teams are based on what they've done this year, who they are right now, and maybe who we think they can be in the future. The Green Bay Packers are not 
the 2020 Packers. They're not the 2019 Packers. They're not the 2018 Packers. They're the 2021 Green Bay Packers with one of the most stingy, scary defenses in all of football. And it feels weird even coming out of my mouth. I can feel the eye rolls even in the back recesses of my own brain somewhere back in there is rolling their eyes. Oh, you're just being a fan. You're just being that. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. After giving up 38 points in week one, they're still a top 10 defense and they don't have any of their top players. In fact, if we look at week uh, two and beyond, there's only two teams, two teams in the entire NFL who have played six games, and I'll, I'll figure out the per game thing in a second when I get my calculator, but of the teams that have played six games, only two have allowed less points than the Packers. Arizona has allowed 101, Cincinnati 104, Green Bay 108. That's it. Third best defense. Let me get my calculator here and look at a per game average. By the way, Minnesota's next on the list. They've played one less game. <laughs> 110 in, um, in five games. We've allowed 108 in six. We've allowed 18 points per game since week two. Uh, New Orleans has allowed 98 points. That's 19.6 per game. So we're ahead of New Orleans. By the way, New Orleans on the season is ranked second in the NFL, including week one. Um, since week two, we're better than the Saints are right now. So again, if you look at overall, they're the number two defense. We're the number nine. They have a better defense. Well, since week two, I don't know exactly where we rank because again, I don't know how to change this on a per game. I guess I could pull it into Excel and do it, but I don't feel like it. I guess I guess it'll be easy to figure out once I f- let's see what Buffalo's at. Buffalo's at 15 points per game. So they're they're well ahead of us. So Buffalo, Arizona, and Cincinnati, we have the fourth best defense in terms of points since week two. Fourth. I don't need to do the math on anybody else because they've all allowed more points than us, including Minnesota, who's played five games, Dallas, who's played five games, Pittsburgh, who's allowed played five games, San Francisco, who's played five games. Um, the Chargers have played five. Jacksonville's played five, Atlanta's played five, the Jets have played five. We've had less points than all those teams who haven't even played their sixth game yet. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I need to pull this into Excel because I want to see it because that doesn't include this last game. Let me pull that last, that, with the last game we're allowing 18.4, so that doesn't change. It goes up slightly. Shouldn't be doing all this right now, but since I got started, I might as well finish my job here. And we haven't even taken a break yet. This is a nightmare. All right, so let me say this again, now that I've done this properly. We're looking at, so far this season, eliminating week one. I know that's not exactly fair, but, you know, it, it, it is to an It's not like I'm eliminating week six, which you can still do if you want to just say, okay, that one game was an anomaly, and anybody can do it, and it changes everything, but specifically saying week one, because you're looking at, obviously, things change as weeks move on, right? And the closer you get to now and the more you eliminate early, you get a clearer picture of what now is. And we can do this starting in week four or five or whatever and just see how things progress. But just eliminating week one, as of right now, Buffalo Bills defense is number one, allowing 15 points per game. Cincinnati is allowing 17.3. Make sure I got this right here. Arizona is allowing 17.8 and Green Bay is allowing 18.4. Since week two, the Green Bay Packers have the second best defense in football without, I'm not doing the list again, without some of our top defensive players. Since week four, the Green Bay Packers have allowed under 17 points per game. It's not letting me sort because it's being dumb, but just off the top of my head here, I'm looking at it. Uh, Tampa's allowed less. Arizona has allowed less. 
Uh, what did I say? 17 points. Uh, that's the Packers right there. I think that's it. So that would make us third behind Tampa and Arizona, and that's it. So again, you can make the case for a lot of different teams for a lot of different reasons, et cetera, et cetera. Very excited about this team. It has a different feel than we've had in a very, very long time. Uh, as I've mentioned before, the grit factor is massive, but um, what I said is that the, the, the grit is important. You can't win without it, but the talent has to improve, and I still think there's some truth to that. I do think that ultimately they're going to have to probably be a little bit better. It's going to be hard to win you know, those types of games throughout the entire playoffs, but it's almost to the point where just by virtue of getting back our players, we're already at the level we need to be. That isn't to say I wouldn't like some improved play, but how much better does the offensive line get when we get everybody back? Does that automatically fix certain problems, such as does Aaron Rodgers play improve because he has more time? Does the run game improve because we're run blocking better? Getting back Devontae, Lazard, MVS, obviously it's pretty easy to draw a straight line between there and improved passing production. There's no real need to explain why getting Jair is back. Uh, Jair back is, is uh, beneficial. Pretty sure that's self-explanatory when you can erase their best wide receiver and put Stokes instead of Stokes on DeAndre Hopkins, which by the way, round of applause to Eric Stokes. Um, we were a little annoyed at that one play, but otherwise DeAndre Hopkins had a very quiet day. In fact, let me find my tweet here. We're obviously going to give up on finding a place for an ad, so I'll have to throw that in a random spot, which you already heard, so I don't need to explain this to you. In fact, maybe we'll spend some time on my tweets here because I put out quite a few of them. Um, if you saw them already, sorry for boring you, but you know, it is what it is. Here we go. Here's what I found on Eric Stokes. I said, Stokes seems to have one bad beat per game and then locks it down. Remove his one bad play. He gave up three receptions for 24 yards and a pass breakup. Against non-Hopkins receivers, five targets, two receptions, 13 yards and a pass breakup. That's what his production is essentially as the number two. There was also a funny thing. I think it was, who was it? TJ Lang or something on Twitter. One of those guys that's always on there. Um, but anyways, he was kind of talking about this is what happens on that particular play he gave up when we were screaming at the guy, just turn your head around. Usually when he gets beat, the ball's just hanging there and he's not looking, right? He's just flailing his arms around thinking the ball's going to get there. It's always on bad throws. And that's kind of a, a comforting thing with, with Stokes because it's not like when things are in rhythm, he's getting beat. It's when things break down, right? He's in the right spot, but the ball's not there. And he's like, what the heck's going on? And then the ball comes two seconds later and he didn't stop it. Well, duh. But the last several weeks, it's been he's flailing his arms, and it's like, dude, th that was such a bad pass. You had time to stop, turn your head, catch the ball, and if you can just calm down and do that, you'd have picks instead of giving up touchdowns. This week, he did that, right? DeAndre Hopkins stopped. He stops. He turns around, wears the ball. Hopkins takes off running because the ball's way behind him, which, by the way, after about the fifth time watching that touchdown, I am not convinced that DeAndre Hopkins didn't do that on purpose. At first, I thought they both were just lost, and then he took off running. I don't know that that wasn't just unbelievably crafty veteran stuff where he came to a stop to get Stokes off his back, get that separation, and then go chase this ball, which is just hanging in the air. Because right, that's dangerous. If you're a wide receiver, you see a ball hanging up there that your quarterback just lobbed in the air, and you just try to run under it. When you start jogging like that, and Stokes kind of turns his head like, where the heck is this ball? Because we're kind of walking right now. It's a 50-50 thing. It becomes dangerous. But when you know that I can be basically go to a light jog and get there on time. I've got time. What am I going to do with my time? I'm going to stop. And then I'm going to run real fast. And that just, it messed up Stokes. Because again, we've been screaming at him, turn your head, turn your head, turn your head. He turns his head. And when he turns his head, Stokes, uh, Hopkins is like, all right, see you later, dude. And he's gone. And by the way, Stokes caught up to him because obviously. 
All right, let me just rip through a couple of these other observations I had. Um, first of all, first retweet that I think is is worth questioning. Uh, Zach Cruz says, I honestly don't know if that wasn't the best win of the Matt LaFleur era. And I've heard a few people echo that sentiment, um, or at least things similar to it. Second thing I highlighted, uh, we'll go over PFF stuff. I don't know, man. Well, I guess we'll do it tomorrow. We got to look at uh, games and stuff tomorrow, but we won't spend the whole time doing that. So we'll do PFF day slash looking at uh, games and whatnot. But you may remember on this very podcast where it would have been, if you want to find it, it should be October 21st, I think would be the day. But um, I tweeted this on October 20th. I said, there's actually a pretty interesting case to be made for Merciless thriving in Green Bay. Of course, you'll have to wait until tomorrow's podcast to find out what that is, but I'm a little excited about it. And if you listen to that particular episode, uh, what I talked about was his production is actually extremely high. In other words, statistically, it's quite high. And what, what, what was interesting was if you just look at his raw numbers, they're low. But if you look at his, what, what do they call it at PFF? Um, I don't know, the, the non-BS pass rushes where it's just one-on-one. He's actually doing a very good job. Meaning a lot of times maybe he's getting double teamed or whatever the case may be. But if we can get him in one-on-one situations, he wins at a very high rate. Anyways, this is what PFF had to say yesterday. And I retweeted that tweet with this quote from PFF. After two games, it looks like Merciless's lack of production in Houston wasn't because of a lack of ability. Against Arizona, he appeared to have a lot left in the tank as he finished with three pressures and a couple other pass rush wins to lead the Packers' pass rush. In other words, he was the best pass rusher on the team. Number one, all hail Brian Gutekunst. Number two, hail me a little bit, kind of called that. And by the way, I don't do that. If anybody's new here, you're like, yeah, you probably just say that about everybody. No, I don't. Usually when we pick up guys, I'm like, nah, he's kind of trash. By the way, Razul Douglas. I don't remember my exact quote, but I'm going to go find it because everybody wanted us to get what's his name that went to Carolina. And we picked up Razul Douglas and I looked at PFF and I was like, you know, these guys are like exactly the same. Razul actually grades out like, identical to what's his name over there. So we got a really good deal on a guy that's about as good and et cetera, et cetera. And of course, he's even outperformed that quote by me. But anyways, here's a quote uh, that I retweeted via Bryce Christensen. The Packers are the third team in the Super Bowl era to win seven straight games in a season immediately following a 30-point loss. The other two both reeled off 10 straight wins and went on to win the Super Bowl, the 76 Raiders, the 94 49ers, go Pack go. By the way, I forget what it was, and and everybody talked about how stupid it was, and it was kind of stupid, but there was something, I shouldn't even say it because I don't remember, but I'm just remembering it now, so I'm going to say it. There was something after that win against the Saints, I think it was Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay lost to the Saints real bad, something almost the exact same score, and went on to win the Super Bowl. And we all kind of made jokes about it, like, ah, see, that means we're going to win. I mean, (laughs) little prophetic. Also took a swipe at the Kyler Murray people. I said, the biggest mistake the Packers made was not game planning to stop Kyler Murray from running all over us. Right, guys? Little wink emoji. Point is, I told you, that is not a major part of what they do. Yes, he's fast. Yes, he can run. Yeah, he got a couple yards against us, whatever. This This is not primarily what they do. And um, given the fact that he was, I think, injured in college, he was injured last year, and he got injured in this game, I think it's a concerted effort by Arizona to say, you need to stop running so much. Uh, Next tweet that I put out, can we ponder how our depleted defense with no defensive coordinator held the Cardinals, who averaged 32 points per game to 21 points, the second lowest point total of their season? And how our depleted offense, missing our top three wide receivers and two offensive linemen, scored 24 points against the number one ranked defense 
which is the second most Arizona has allowed. So the second lowest, second worst their offense has performed was against the Packers. The second worst their defense has performed was against the Packers. And in both cases, we were depleted on both sides of the ball. Uh, went on to, this is why I go through my Twitter, because there's interesting tidbits I find that I forget when it's podcast time. That was officially, which is probably not surprising, the biggest underdog win of Matt LaFleur's career. This was the second biggest spread against the Packers, the biggest being against San Francisco January 2020. Packers, since Matt LaFleur took over, are 7-3 and three as underdogs, which, are you really an underdog if your record as an underdog is 7-3? and three? By the way, that's something else I need to look up. Other head coaches' underdog records. You would expect mostly you would be have a losing record when you're not favored, but uh, that game against the 49ers was 8-point eight um, eight underdogs, and we lost that game. This was 6.5 points, second biggest um, expected loss, whatever you call it, and we won. Uh, might as well give you this tidbit. We'll talk about PFF tomorrow, but A.J. Dillon, top-graded offensive player. Whitney Merciless, top-graded defensive player. Um, elaborating on that, Preston and Rashawn both had rough games via PFF, and Merciless is the uh, highest graded. Jair and King are hurt. Stokes graded out poorly. Razul, third highest grade. It's not just, so, okay, I, I won't just read it word for word. Let me just elaborate on my own. Sounds clunky when I just read stuff. Think about that, though. Because, and this is what a lot of people are going to say, see, see, I told you, just go get guys and we win football games. Just just go all in. Just go grab it. No, 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 no. Lots of teams are just go grabbing guys. Lots of people have gotten picked up. What we're seeing with Whitney Merciless, Devondre Campbell, Razul Douglas, this is not, I mean, I think this is what fans think, and this is almost a negative thing because fans are going to assume this is just what happens. You just pick guys up and then you're great. That never happens. All right, the, the, the Broncos... Uh, a couple days ago, got Kenny Young. Uh, the Broncos also got Stephen Weatherly from the Vikings. The Cardinals, well, the Cardinals got Zach Ertz. That's been pretty helpful. The Eagles got Tay Gowan. Uh, Panthers got Stephon Gilmore. That's the guy I kept trying to think of. He still hasn't played played yet. The Bears got Jakeem Grant. How many of these guys have game-winning interceptions or are top pass rushers on their team or whatever the case may be? Uh, Panthers also acquired C.J. Henderson. If you heard his name come up at all, the Saints got Bradley Roby, the cornerback. Steelers got Akello Witherspoon, the cornerback. The Vikings got Chris Herndon, the tight end. How big of an impact do you think these guys are having? These are just trades, by the way. This doesn't, you know, I mean, there's there's also signings. Uh, the Browns picked up cornerback Herb Miller. Texans picked up Craven LeBronc. Chargers, Tristan Vlaklalblub. Uh, Jaguars, Casey McDermott. Saints, Albert Huggins. Broncos, Demaria Crockett. Giants, David Sills. Broncos, Curtis point is, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people just get picked up. How many of these guys are making massive impact? The Packers aren't just going all in. There's just going all in and throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks and basically nothing does and you still stink and then your salary cap is trash. And then they're strategically picking up just the right guys at just the right time at just the right price which, as I said on Twitter, is basically an impossible task. These th- you can't expect this level of talent to get picked up off the street because if they're this good, they wouldn't be just sitting on the street. Razul Douglas was on somebody's practice squad. Why? Why wouldn't the Eagles just activate him to their active roster? Why didn't any of the other 30 teams, who are not the Packers or the Eagles, sign him off of the practice squad? There is a reason. You say, well, it's because they're all stupid and they didn't know. No, they did know because he's played before and he's been bad. Finding the right guy at the right time for our specific team. There's a lot of other guys that we want, and it's not just a matter of if they come here, they just become great. In fact, usually it's the opposite, especially when we're talking defense. 
but the right guys with the right mentality for the right scheme for all these things. Devondre Campbell, the guy has never, ever, 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 ever been a good linebacker in his life. But he's he's elaborated on that. He's talked about that, about what's different about this team and this scheme. And and kudos to Brian Gutekunst and, and Joe Barry for saying, this is what we do here. And, and, you know, it's a little more simplified. So we need a guy that can just be a really good linebacker. Who's a guy that he can't do X, Y, Z, but he can do A, B, and C. And if we can find a guy that's got the, the intelligence and just enough athleticism and just enough thump and everything else to just do what we ask him to do, he can be a great linebacker to thrive here. Nobody, myself included, I shouldn't say no, but some people said he would have been great, but I think it's based on um, false understanding of what he's done in the past. Could be wrong. I'm just saying there's, there really was no evidence to assume that he'd be any good, but same people that say every time people come over, um, they're going to be great. But he had what it took, and he got the job done, and he's getting the job done, and at an unbelievably high level. And of course, we kind of talked about it, but the ever-important tweet from Matt Schneidman, the Packers should be getting David Bakhtiari, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, and Kevin King back for next Sunday's game in Kansas City. Kind of completely random and not a part of that. Um, I, my brain kind of did five steps of separation to get me here, so just bear with me. I also want to give a shout out to not just Stokes, but our entire cornerback group, because one of the things that I said about Arizona that makes them so lethal is they've got a talented quarterback and a really stacked stable of wide receivers. That ultimately is their strength. They run the ball kind of a lot. They do a decent job running the ball. But the the reason they're so good offensively is a quarterback playing at a really high level and so many talented wide receivers. Didn't see a lot of that this last game. Didn't see a lot of really talented wide receivers carving up this defense, despite the fact that we didn't have anybody. And the reason I thought of that was... I would have thought it would have been cool to have Kevin King back because they like to spread out the ball a lot. And when you got, let's say, five wide or even four wide, what you need are two guys on the outside, two guys on the inside. And Kevin King actually did a good job as a slot guy. If we would have had Kevin King and um, Chandon on the inside with Razul and Stokes on the outside, I feel like that'd be a pretty cool combo. I don't know how many teams we're going to be having four corners out there, but um, just, just, just a thought that I had. We'll see what happens with Kevin King. I'm sure we won't be happy with it, but... It's, it's, it is what it is. Here's that tw- tweet I referenced, by the way, earlier. According to True Media, A.J. Dillon averaged 1.6 yards before contact per rush, 3.81 yards after contact per rush. Tackling that dude is not fun. And again, that's why he was the game plan. The, the running backs are getting hit 1.6 yards down the field. Do you want Aaron Jones or do you want Devont or uh, Dylan taking that hit at 1.6 yards? Because if you're averaging 1.6 yards per game, you're in a lot of trouble. Take the guy that's going to plow his way to four yards. Anyways, that's pretty much all I got for you today. Um, again, there's still so much to cover. We didn't even touch the stats. We didn't touch uh, any of the grades, hardly. We didn't touch much of anything, but um, just wanted to get my thoughts out there. And um, tomorrow we'll go over a little bit more, probably stats and grades, and look at some of the games coming up. And uh, we got a long week ahead of us, so we got some, some ground to cover, which will be nice, kind of take a step back a little bit, which we haven't really been able to do. But you folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.